And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. Welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza on a Sunday. I am Nicholas Hodell. Dominic Stern, the third member of our team, Dom Contini, are all here as always to discuss what's been a very eventful uh, weekend in college basketball. We have a Final Four, but before we discuss the roads to the Final Four, let's get into the most recent game of how they got to the Final Four. That was the Elite Eight, and we're going to start off with the death of a Cinderella, and this was not even close. North Carolina by 20 over St. Peter's, and St. Peter's really was sort of in trouble from the start. Not a good start, particularly from three, just one of 11 in, the, in that first half. And it, it was really, North Carolina took advantage of everything, really. When the shots don't fall as an underdog, it's very hard to win this month. Exactly, and this completes the analogy of the clock striking midnight for a Cinderella team. St. Peter's had a great run. Um, it's going to go down in the history books for sure as probably the greatest run ever. So props to them, but North Carolina was not going to do any business with that, and they are moving on to the Final Four after a great performance from Armando Baycott. Uh, 20 points and uh, how many rebounds? 22. 22. Which is ridiculous. 20 and 22. Like, yeah. that is absurd. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, it's not just him, too. I mean, Brady Manick had another good game of 19 and 8. Caleb Love had 14. Not as prolific shooting wise as in the Sweet 16. But really, when those three guys are going, it's just terrific to watch. Uh, but for this St. Peter's team, I mean, it's such a terrific run. Uh, and last summer, we did an all-time Cinderella bracket. This St. Peter's team would be so hev- heavily favored. Yeah, it'd be a one seed. Absolutely. The overall number one seed. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, Loyola Chicago up there. BCU's up there. You have UMBC. But, I mean, I think St. Peter's is right there. To be a 15 seed and win three games in the NCAA tournament is super impressive. Yeah. Against three quality opponents, too. Very quality opponents. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that school operates with... The le- with the limited funds compared to the programs they were beating. I mean, it was just unbelievable uh, for that team. And I think also the NIL era of college athletics really showed what a run like this can mean for some of these mid-major athletes. For sure. I mean, like, if you look at Doug, I mean... Doug. Doug. Would, what happened with him during this run would have never happened if that run never happened. Yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings, Barstool Sports. Like, he was being... He was a top commodity around... America. Yeah, and you, know, you can only wonder which other bit major guys would have that same benefit, but we're not going to wander on for that. Oh, we can't talk about Doug some more. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> Doug. 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 Miami getting slaughtered by Kansas in the Elite Eight, particularly in the second half. I mean, this was just not close. Kansas found their rhythm in the second half, and much credit to Miami for, for really taking advantage of Kansas' woes in the first. But once Kansas got it going, and once Waterbrook fouled out, it was lights out. This has been Kansas's tournament all tournament long, so I'm very impressed with this team entering its Final Four. Yeah, the, their defense is really starting to get it turned around at the mm-hmm. right time, and Remy Martin has been a big part of that, bringing a lot of energy off the bench. He'd kind of been injured in the doghouse all year. You know, Full details really haven't been 
uh, enclosed or disclosed to all of us. And Remy Martin really hasn't gotten the opportunity to play in true NCAA tournament games because he was on Arizona State and it's not a basketball school by any stretch of the imagination. He's got other talent around him that makes him look really good, and he's been phenomenal since the NCAA tournament. I mean, he, he won region player the uh, he 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 won the award for the best player in their region, which was the the Midwest. So, uh, shout out to Remy Martin. He's helping out their defense, also adding in another explosive player on that offense. Obviously, Christian Braun, Ochai Baji, Jalen Wilson are really talented wing players, but Remy Martin is an explosive point guard, and as we know, point guard play wins in March. It's obviously another point guard on another one of these teams that has been absolutely phenomenal in the Final Four, and we've seen it time and time again. Uh, it's the reason that I talked myself out of Arizona to win it all and selecting Kansas to win it all, and uh, I currently have the highest equity out of the three of us in the uh, the college basketball bonanza bracket pool. Yeah, and when you look at the second chance points in particular, Kansas, 17 to nothing. And second chance points yeah. and Miami's a bad rebounding team, so it was a bad matchup. Yeah, it was it was one it was really horrific. I mean it was Kansas plus thirteen. Uh but but even then, like Miami had five offensive rebounds, got no second chance points out of it. Like I mean, it's there's something to say for that when you don't get second chance points. Mm-hmm. Like that that hurts. And that really hurt Miami in this game. Uh to the games that were played on Saturday, Duke over Arkansas. Arkansas hung around a little bit, but the end of that first half for Duke really was the lights-out moment uh, in this game, for me anyway. Uh, but I, I keep looking at the forwards of this team between Griffin, Bonchero, Moore, Williams, the big men of this team, when they are all working together so well and making life so difficult inside, This is a, this, they are playing like they a champion. Every, they have every piece. Like, this Duke team is very good. I think it's one of Coach K's best teams um i'm still amazed of how how my Ohio state team beat this team but we don't need to get into that right now but um yeah this duke team is complete like you said nick um they're big guys with um bancaro at and he's the star of this team and then you have wendell moore at the top they're all around very good yeah and, and i look like all four of those guys are serving a purpose uh, up, down uh, down low uh, but you look at some of these guards, I mean, Jeremy Roach and Trevor Keels, nine points of each in this Elite Eight. Uh, but both those guys have served their purposes in this tournament as well. Right, and they're all big and super athletic, so they, they have the potential to play defense. And they're, they're kind of in that same echelon as Kansas. Everyone knew these teams had better defenses than what they were showing. And it was just about the offenses carrying the way, and if the defense can play above par, that's how these teams were going to succeed in March. That's exactly what we've seen. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's like the guards are serving as the secondary role compared to the forwards who have just been absolutely terrific. Uh, but also shout-out to Arkansas' Jalen Williams, 19-10, and 10, really solid performance, and such a big stage, too. Um, you've got all the lights on you in a standalone Elite Eight game. you got the number one crew calling the game. You had to put an 8-17 performance shooting with, with the points and rebounding numbers. That's a pretty darn good night for him. And, and Arkansas... Again, I mean, what Eric Musselman is doing in that program is fantastic. You know what number recruit they have, uh, recruiting class they have in this upcoming recruiting Tom class? That. It's number two. Mm. So things he's are on the up away. and up, yes. Uh, Eric Musselman, he's done a fantastic job uh, at Arkansas. Thank God he's out of the Mountain West, and he deserves to be as well. Yeah, he has been such a terrific coach for that program. 
How about the most disgusting game of this Elite Eight? Houston and Villanova. Yeah, it's uh, very inconceivable to see a team score 50 points in an Elite Eight game and move on. But that's exactly what happened here. Uh, I, I just couldn't believe what I was watching, but that's just how well Villanova played defensively against Houston, that they only needed to score 50 points. And we've seen this with Villanova. They love to play really, really slow, slow it down, let their really talented and really smart point guards make the right decisions and put the ball out of harm's way. It's exactly what they did. Houston, 1 of 20 from 3. That's disgusting. Ouch. Like, that's got to be a historical low for the Elite Eight round. Like, yeah. that's disgusting. I'd find it hard to believe that anyone shot below 5% from three in, in, a, in, a league, in a league eight game. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, that is just absolutely disgusting. Like, I, I am very curious about the three worst. You know, I'm sure college basketball reference would have you covered. They've put in the right figures and notes and everything. Like, I failed to do those afternoons. I was so worried on other things. Uh, but at, at least for Houston, one guy stepped up. Taze Moore, 15 and 10. Like, mm -hmm. at least one guy stepped up. But even then, 6 of 21 from the field. I mean, it's just the guys that stepped up against Arizona were disgustingly bad against Villanova shooting the basketball. Yeah. Like, it's just unreal to me. Well, what was crazy was Josh Carlton, who had been really good for them down low, he only shot the ball three times. Why? That, I, I don't know. I mean, he turned the ball over four times, which is not good, especially considering how slow this game was. So when he was trying to get opportunities, the the ball is getting taken away from him. So I think Villanova made it a uh, made an effort to make sure Carlton didn't beat them. That's exactly what happened. Whatever you want to quantify that ass, I mean that's just it was a disgusting game, just yes. disgusting. And Villanova, fifteen of fifteen from the line, they're now eighty three percent from oh the line gosh. on the year. They're going to be the number one th uh, free throw shooting team of all time. But it's ridiculous. Uh, they're, they're in front of Harvard, who was at 82.2, and when you consider how many free throws they've shot now at this point in the year, they would need it two historically bad free throw shooting games in order to fall behind that. And if they have one historically bad free throw shooting game against uh, against Kansas, they're probably going to lose. So yeah. you're, you're looking at the greatest free throw shooting team of all time. We are watching history. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the roads to the Final Four for every single one of the Final Four teams left. We're going to start with Duke. Did you, say, did you just say fluke? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. They're not fluke anymore. Oh, they're not. They're, they are not. They're, I wouldn't go that far. Well, there, there was some times where this team definitely was iffy, to say the least, throughout the course of the regular season. Uh, uh, but then this segment, I want to discuss the season-long arcs of all four of the final four teams. Uh, you mentioned Dominic, or Dom Contini, I should say. I get my Doms and whatever. Yeah. Um, the Ohio State loss at yeah. the start of this year was definitely something interesting with this it, team. It was, it was eye-opening. I mean, no one really expected it. Of course, I picked it in our Nanza <laughs> picks, but I was just picking that as with a, a, as a homer. Yeah. But, um, yeah, th th this team was all up and down all year, and they did not specifically end um, their regular season and conference tournament um, very highly. I mean, they had that loss against North Carolina at home. To end the regular season, and then a pitiful performance against Virginia Tech in the ACC Conference Tournament. So, entering the tournament, a lot of people weren't very high on this team. I think um, their run wasn't specifically hard. Um, they had to play Gonzaga instead of Arkansas. That certainly would have made them less of a fluke. Um, so, for sure.
Yeah, and those losses against Miami and Florida State in the regular season um, within the span of 10 days, I mean, it only put him at 14-3 and three at that time, uh, but it really did make you question some of the things about this team. Obviously, Miami now looks good being an Elite Eight team, mm-hmm. but at the time, no one was saying that. I mean, at, when, the, when those two losses occurred, this was an ACC that was getting dogged on. Well, in, re- in reality, the ACC was never held to a great standard this year until the Elite Eight when they had three of the eight teams in the Elite Eight. So I think they ever, they changed people's minds about their conference and the tournament. And really, that's what the ACC always does. And they come ready to play in March, and they really showed out this tournament. It's crazy how they... this tournament can change narratives, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's well, unreal. Well, I think the whole narrative thing is kind of flawed because no one's going to look back and say, wow, the Pac-12 had a great year last year. You're going to look back and say the Pac-12 had a great tournament last year. No one's going to look back on the season and say, wow, the ACC had a great year. You're going to look back and say, wow, the ACC had a great tournament. I think it's important to separate the tournament and the season. The ACC didn't have a bad year. I mean, none of their teams had big wins. I mean, if you look at Notre Dame's record, if you look at Miami's record, it wasn't a bad record. If you look at North Carolina's record, it wasn't a bad record. The ACC was absolutely better than the Pac-12 last year, but it was a very down year for a conference that otherwise puts out multiple teams where people can say, all right, they can win a national championship. They're going to have two teams that are still capable of that, and several other teams end up making the NCAA tournament. They just didn't have that this year. And the thing I'll say about this is that when 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 athletic departments come to make decisions on coaching contracts, extensions, firings, whatnot, I mean, I mean, once you get to the NCAA tournament, they're not just unless you get to the first round. Just gonna, they're not just gonna say, "Oh, you know, meh, regular season." Like once you get to the points, like what Miami did this year, they're gonna hold you to that. They'll be like, "Yeah, the regular season wasn't good, but look, look what you did to the NCAA tournament." Like most people watch college basketball in March. Yeah, and it's really for a lot of people. That's the all only, they see. Exactly, and to the to the to the casual the. To, to those people to, who only watch the NCAA tournament, that's what they get to see out, out of these programs. Mm-hmm. And, and I really believe that when I say changing narratives, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, us college basketball gurus can dog on conferences left and right, but when you see them doing great things in the NCAA tournament, and that's what you remember them by. Not as a the regular season, you still remember it. To a certain degree, but you will remember the NCAA tournament a lot more than that. Exactly, and it's like the exact opposite for the Big Ten because I mean, everyone like us gurus know the Big Ten is great in the regular season, and then everyone else only knows that they're bad in the tournament play. So it's the complete opposite. For yeah, them. it just comes up every single year. Yeah. Uh, to get back to Duke in, in particular, uh, the arc of this team that has that has really transpired over the course of the last month is is from a team that. I was very iffy on them in pressure moments to them excelling in those moments in particular. Mm-hmm. This is the team that you I, you had mentioned earlier lost to UNC in Coach K's final home game and got white. Lost to Virginia Tech in the ACC Tournament Championship and got white. And that was a problem like, uh-oh, we have problems here with Duke in, in pressure games. But it, but that the, the second half against Michigan State changed my mind because that again was a pressure situation duke michigan state again the number one broadcast crew is there it's on the big network you know people are watching is up versus coach k for the final time and duke excelled in the final moments of that game that was their best stretch of the season 
Yeah. All right, all right. And then, and what they did since against Texas Tech, another really strong game where Duke again excelled late. And against Arkansas, where they had that spurt of excelling, this is a team that has come a long way in just a month. Mm. From, being able to, from being able to, from, from almost panicking in those huge moments where you know the pressure's on you, to thriving in them. If, I think it'd be fair to say that those two losses they took in the lead to the tournament taught them something. That they can't just, they just can't lie down and let other teams come to them in, in big moments. Like, they, they, you gotta rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. And they have done that really well in this, in this tournament. Yeah, I think they're just playing with big hearts, especially for their coach, Coach K. I mean, he's going away after this tournament, and you definitely saw it in the post-game interview with Coach K and Paolo Bancaro. I mean, you see a real friendship there and a real coach-to-player moment. I mean, this team is all for each other, and they are a great team. And uh, we'll get this into this later in the show, but Duke is – very high on my list. Yeah, they are very high on my list too, just because of you know the, the confetti shower, and it's like you know they're they're you know they're they have come together, and I almost think they're trying to not completely screw it up again. Yeah, you know, like they know what can happen if they just lie down in those pressure games. Like I said, they don't want Coach K to go out in a, in, a, in a situation like that. Well, Coach K has been here multiple times. I think it's how many Final Fours? Thirteen. Thirteen. And the new, like, the new all-time record. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he doesn't have – he has some national championships to wake up for that, but most of the times he's made it to the Final Four, his teams have not shown up. So, Well, it's really hard once you get there because you're facing the best teams who are playing well at the time. Well, so it's Duke. Duke yeah, yeah. Duke has the players. 100%. Yeah. So, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if this Duke team can really show up against – uh, what should be their their rival, who's absolutely playing well? They're they're New Orleans is going to be electric. Oh, it's going to it's going to awesome. be phenomenal. I feel bad for the Philadelphia and Kansas fans who have to buy tickets to the national semifinal because the prices are sky high. I'm sure. Yeah, it's probably very similar to, or actually, probably two times what it was in Cameron Indoor two three weeks ago. So and so one so the thing we'll close out with after we get to the season long arcs, if this team is going to win the championship. They're going to have to do what? It's going to have I mean, like, keep playing how they're playing. I mean, the, the way Duke is playing right now is phenomenal. And I think North Carolina is, in a way, somewhat lucky to be where they are right now. And I think they might get a little starstruck. And I think Duke players, like you said, Nick, they've shown up what accounts most. So if they keep doing that, I mean, I don't see anything going wrong with this Duke team. Uh, first off, tickets are three hundred bucks for the final four right mm. now. Just wanted to. Throw well, that up that's there. like you have to understand that it's a football stadium. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. You're way up there. Way, yes. way up there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, bought binoculars or two binoculars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think they're gonna have to do two things. Like I think they're gonna have to keep Caleb Love, uh, in front of them, and they're gonna have to box out Armando Baycott. Yeah. I think if they do those two things, they're gonna move on to the championship. Yeah. You can't really focus on what they have to do against. Kansas or Villanova because they got to get there first. And I know to say that 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 logic would almost apply to the championship too. So I mean, you, you mean you you got for Villanova you got the experience of Colin Gillespie for Kansas you got old Jai Ajabi to worry about and then Remy Martin when he comes into the game, uh, and, and it's just it, it's exactly that. 
I think Coach K just has to do a really good job of getting those players prepared. Because, I mean, every time Duke gets to the Final Four, it's like a brand new crop. Coach K, he has the experience to know what it takes to win Final Four games. And he knows what to say to these players to get them prepared uh, to play in front of a, of a thousands and thousands of people like that in a football stadium. That's going to be the big thing for me. Tomorrow to North Carolina. Boy, what, what the... This has been a transformational journey for North Carolina this season. Um, the neutral site losses back in November to Purdue and Tennessee, particularly the game against Tennessee, kind of showed some of the warning signs, um, I, mean, um, I, I would say. Um, but the loss of Kentucky back in December 18, boy, that, I mean, it wasn't even close. Like It was almost like there was just something wrong with this North Carolina team at that point. I mean, Kentucky drops 98 on, the, on North Carolina back in December 18. Jan one month later, the loss to Notre Dame made things, well, I should say one month later, but more of like a couple weeks later, three weeks later, uh, the loss to Notre Dame on the road um, brought up some more of the warning signs. You're 10-4 and four at that point. Then, then, you, then you're losing out on the road to Miami and Wake Forest in mid-January, and you're 12-6. Both and by 20-plus. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the Duke loss at home, on February 5th, you're at 16 and 7. By the, 20. The, the loss at home to Pitt on February 16. By 9. You're 18 and 8, and no one knows they're going to get in the tournament at that point. For them to have gone from that to the Final Four, it's just so freaking impressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say us, Reeves would say, kind of seen, I kind of saw this coming. Not, I'm, I, I, I had them beating Baylor in my bracket. Mm -hmm. so, I, think I think we all did. So like they, they, they were capable of making this run. It was just a matter of them putting the pieces together, and they did. So um, their run was definitely not easy. I mean, their Elite Eight was easier than everyone else's, but having to beat UCLA, having to beat Baylor, having to beat um, – who was the nine? Was, they had to beat Marquette. Marquette. Marquette, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they crushed them. Yeah, and like that was very, very eye-opening too. Um as they started the tournament, beating them by 32 points. So uh, this North Carolina team is hot. Hubert Davis has proven that he is the next coming of Roy Williams, or maybe. So um, I'm very excited for this Final Four matchup between the two Blue Bloods. Yeah, I don't know if one year is going to prove that, but what he's done with this team has been one of the better coaching jobs that's not going to get considered for National Coach of the Year uh, in the entire country. Uh, and, and some of these other games in the middle of some of these losses, too, were very concerning. I mean, the game against Boston College back in January 26th, they only scored 58 on Boston College. Uh, that was not very good, uh, to say the least. And just some of these other games, I mean, December 21, they only scored 70 against Appalachian State. I mean, to, and when you have one of the faster tempos in the country, that's not good uh, whatsoever. Uh, but it was very similar against some of the other teams. I mean, some of these games were not quite as offensive. Um, and say what you want about 70 points, um, but against Appalachian State, I imagine be scoring more than that, especially at home. Yeah. And so what this team really personifies to me is a team that wasn't going to take it anymore. I mean, they, uh, they did what they needed to do. And that win at Duke was, was the sign that, holy cow, this team can do it. And this team's changed. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're not the bubbler anymore. They're a team that is is not going to get a high seed because of their season resume, but they're dangerous. Yeah. And they've proven that. 
when you have players like Armando Armando Baycott, you can pretty much beat anyone. So um, Armando Baycott is he he he's sensational. And when you have pieces who have been here before, who know what it's like to play for a blue blood team, that's going to do numbers for you. And it has, and we've seen that through this tournament. I mean, literally none of the games. Well, Baylor was close, UCLA was close, but Baylor should not have been close. We can get to that another time. But, yeah, this North Carolina team is special. No, that, that Baylor game is a good point because without Manic, who got ejected on a call, you can say whatever you want about, and Kayla Love fouling out, you saw this team nearly collapse. And I really did wonder if that was the end for North Carolina. I mean, that was just... It wasn't exactly the true collapse because they didn't quite all the way choke it, but it was a collapse regardless to, for that thing to even go to overtime. It was just a team that was on the ropes without its key pieces. But Coach Davis found a way to gather the guys around who were available for him, and they won that game in overtime quite convincingly. And that right there is the sign of a team that has the resilience from not just the top two guys, but all the way down to like the eighth or ninth guy. That's a team with resilience right there. Like, you're not going to see too many teams who, ch- who choke 25-point leads, who then have to play five more minutes in overtime, and come out like that. Against a Scott Drew coach team, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. With, with all the culture, culture that Baylor program has, has provided. Defending champs. So, yeah. Yeah. So freaking impressive. Mm-hmm. And that only led into more and more momentum into the second weekend. No, most definitely. That's a great point. Yeah, and I think that this is a – it was more of a, like, rebuilding year because two legendary, legendary coaches, Dean Smith and then Roy Williams, who knows how Hubert Davis is able to follow that up. And like we mentioned, things weren't looking great. And as a recruit, UNC is always going to be appetizing because of the history, being able to play at the massive Dean Dome. Yeah. Playing, it, having the rivalry of Duke. Too, yeah, so. it, it, they're always going to be able to bring in recruits. But if Hubert Davis didn't impress in his first couple of years, you know, do I really want to go play there for the next couple of years exactly. of my life? He has absolutely proven that players should absolutely want to go play for him. Yeah. And I, I think that's mostly what this has been about. That's why I think he was a great hire, too, because he was already in the program. He was the assistant coach to Roy. And, yeah, this season had literally not a lot of expectations for this North Carolina team. And the way that they've been able to turn this season around in a span of two, two and a half weeks is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. 2% of brackets had North Carolina making it to to the Final Four. One yeah. being um, Gabe's mom. Yes. <laughs> Conversation for another time. Uh, but the, really the emotion that, that Coach Davis showed um, in, in, in the interview, uh, on, on the, in the TV interview, with his players all around him, embracing him in that moment, it shows what he's done. Um, and it showed what some of the leaders in that team has done, but also what the coaching staff has done. They have really bonded through the hard times, and it's made them stronger. And it really just shows that he cares. Mm-hmm. And, what, and what he did in building his staff around guys who had been there and done that before, just knowing the culture of that program, they knew that what they were doing wasn't good enough. And they found a way. And that's what matters in March, that you find a way. Because like, like we mentioned the ACC, you can change narratives with one NCAA tournament. And that's what North Carolina did. They, 
what this team has done, they have turned a team that will be remembered as a meh North Carolina team to a Final Four team. And that speaks volumes. North Carolina has made it to the Final Four in nine straight decades. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's, that is something. Yep. That is something. That, that's, that's mind-boggling. That, that's, that's crazy. Uh, but real quickly, if North Carolina is going to win the championship, they will have to do what? Caleb Love needs to keep shooting the basketball. Yeah. And they need to play like they did in Cameron Indoor a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I have said in our, in our new TikTok, which you can follow at College Bonanza on that platform, Caleb Love, Armando Baycott, Brady Maddock. Those are the three players who will have to be on the Ray game. Mm-hmm. If one of them is off, it's going to get iffy. If two of them are off, I don't know if they're going to be able to recover from that. That's going to be the big thing I look for from this North Carolina team. All three of those pieces will have to be united and together. Caleb Love, he, we know what he can do. Armando Baycott, he's a, he is a force down low. And man, it can be right there if Love shooting the basketball really well. Mm-hmm. And I believe all three of those pieces are together. North Carolina can't win a national championship. Yeah, and I think the factor of comfortability with North Carolina playing Duke in the Final Four instead of Arkansas, I think that I think North Carolina would rather play Duke than Arkansas, in my opinion. That Saturday is going to be disgusting on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait for that. And I love that, by the way. Like, imagine it Coach K's last loss being to his arch rival. Like in the Final Four. In the Final Four. He's two games away from a championship, and he lost to his arch rival, and he has to go home. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad Coach K got to cut down the nets one last time, but I hope it's not another time. Oh, man. I would love it if North Carolina won. Oh, would, my gosh. It would be... Twitter would be amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. Twitter, Twitter's amazing as it is, Nick. <laughs> it's not, it's not short-changed Twitter. There are some Twitter. situations where it's more amazing than others. 100%. Let's not short-change Twitter. <laughs> Agreed. Yes. Villanova next on the list uh, in the Big East Conference, uh, a team that has really gone through uh, the ups and the downs, um, like North Carolina, but to a much lesser extent. Um, well, especially and, recently. I yeah. Mean, they just lost one of their best players just some more. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that a little later on. But the season arc of this team um, – was a bit mixed going into the Big East season. Uh, a team that showed every, everything they were capable of at Pond Pavilion back in, in November against UCLA, that overtime thriller. One of the best, one of the first best games of this college basketball season. It's still up there, I would say. That, that game was must-see television. Yeah, and that game really was the eye-opener that Philadelphia was still here. Mm-hmm. Everyone was giving UCLA all the credit at that time. And Philadelphia was coming in just kind of trying to prove themselves, and they did that 100%. Mm-hmm. And then UCLA turned around the next week and got stomped, and everyone's like, ooh, well, Villanova couldn't beat this team. And they just lost to uh, who we think is the best team by 20 points in an awful game. Yeah. Yeah, eight days later, they go on to beat Tennessee pretty handily on a neutral floor, but lose to Purdue the next day uh, in that particular MTE. Flash forward about three months, three weeks later, I should say, and they go to Baylor and only drop 36 points. Lose by 21. Yeah. Ugly. And then lost to Crane with 20 back-to-back losses. Yeah, like those two losses. Are scary. That, that was a scary moment for Jay Wright and company. Yes, both of them were on the road. But if you have players like Colin Gillespie, that shouldn't happen. And if you have a coach like Jay Wright. Yeah, not. I mean, you shouldn't be putting up 38, 36 points in a game, period. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. 
Like, that should be and a half. Unless you're Bobby Hurley in Arizona State and score, oh. score 10 and a half. Come on. <laughs> you really are still the salt in the rooms, did you? <laughs> oh, brutality. Brutality. Brutality at its finest. Oh. But no, but no, you're right that, I mean, when these low-scoring games are brutal. Mm-hmm. And that's what that was, that Baylor game. That was the question sign. Creighton was the question sign as well. Um, they would obviously go on to avenge it twice. Uh, they would go on just a few weeks later and crush Creighton at home. Like, mm-hmm. it was literally the reverse. I mean, Creighton was the one not scoring, and Philadelphia was the one impressing. And then, obviously, in the Big East Conference Tournament, in an ugly game there, too. Uh, but this team really wasn't questioned again until mid-January and early February, where they lost the season series to Marquette. Yeah. Close boss at home, a little bit less of a closer loss on the road. And Marquette wasn't the best team in the Big East. Not at all. I mean, it's, I mean and they, they definitely weren't a Providence. Yeah. Um, so, it, it was one of those things where it's just like, oh, this is not good. Because the, the schedule at that time, um, excuse me, go, going from January until that February 2nd, you had Satan Hall, Creighton, DePaul, Xavier, Butler, Marquette, Georgetown, DePaul, St. John's, Marquette. Was not the best um, schedule you could possibly have. Yeah. And then the Big East. Um, so, and, and really the point of that is, is that, like, you're not, you're not, like, for, for, for a program that's supposed to be nationally elite, those are the losses you get. The season lost to Marquette, either matchup's not good or, ew, we got problems here. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can look at that that closely. Yeah. I mean, Especially when they would go on and beat UConn at home to follow up. Yeah. Beat it, Providence on the road. They kind of silenced that doubt real quick. This Final Four is the elitist of the elite and Villanova is an elite program and they had some troubles this year but when you have seniority with like Colin Gillespie and then a great coach like Jay Wright you're going to be just fine yeah because what they've done since they lost the season series to Marquette was they've gone 14-1 and one, and yeah. now they're in the final four and the UConn game was another great game of this college basketball regular season um, Dom certainly remembers that game so yes. um, yeah Villanova they flipped their season around pretty quickly. Um, that Marquette series is a little bit mind-boggling. So yeah, and, and, and it just shows you how impressive that was. Like they they really told themselves after that loss to Marquette that we ain't doing this again. Mm-hmm. We're not doing this, and they didn't. Like they were able to I mean, split the series against UConn's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I, I mean UConn's a really good team. This UConn team was really good. The Big East was good this year. It was. So. And they they went through the tougher part of their Big East schedule and, and almost swept it. Yeah. Uh, and which was really impressive. They found ways to win the Big East tournament without scoring 70 or more points in yeah. any game, which that alone can say a lot about a team. And the NCAA tournament, they, again, just found ways to win. We really can just say Villanova was the regular season Big East champ, too, because they were 2-0 against Providence. So, I mean... They're they're probably the Big East champs in general. Yeah, and, and part of the thing that Villanova had to overcome this year was injuries and lack of depth. They yep. really only played six, six seven. guys. Yeah, and they they would throw in Longino, Archie Diacono, shout out Archie Diacono, and Antoine in a little bit. None of those guys really averaged more than ten minutes a game. No, we we like we talked about this after the UCLA game. I think they only played six, or they might have only played five, but. They were not deep at all in that UCLA game, and that showed in overtime. 
Um, but yeah, death and injuries are certainly going to be a big issue in the Final Four, especially now that they're missing one of their best players, Justin Moore. Yeah, and, and you know to, to extend on that point, uh, they really only played, they played six seven. guys. Yeah, they played with, seven with guys. With RG Diagonal playing two minutes, mm-hmm. which is really, who cares mm-hmm. at that point? And so that will be tested in the Final Four uh, for sure. Uh, but you guys kind of alluded to it throughout the show, that the big piece of news and the, um, approaching the Final Four is the entry of Justin Moore. Uh, we wish for his well recovery. Torn Achilles are not fun um, at all. Um, oh, it's the worst injury you can have in basketball. Yeah, it is It is brutal. It's very hard to come from. Yeah, I mean, we certainly wish the West uh, the best for him mm-hmm. going forward. Uh, but we could kind of extend our, if they win the championship, they'll have to do what? You're looking at a, at a team that's going to be incredibly depleted against a Kansas team that, is, that loves to run. And, and that they, loves to run, and they've probably been the most impressive team in this tournament so far. Like, I don't think it's close. Kansas is the most impressive I've seen. I'd argue it's UNC, but I mean Kansas is a good argument as well. Yeah. What? What? Kansas has had no trouble getting to where they Dude, are. Dude, they were up by one with less than a minute to go over a Creighton team that was missing their starting point guard and starting center. True. I mean, now, who who knows what happens if the Aztecs play play Kansas? <laughs> we're we're just gonna throw that out there. Uh, you can take that whatever you will. Um, but uh. I mean, they they absolutely had to fight against Creighton, and they rebounded after that. I mean, credit to them because they could have folded. Creighton was playing with house money. They're super impressive this year. I mean, and not to not, mention too, not about that, and not but. to mention too, after a really fast start, they really got um, wobbly against Providence for a certain extent too. Yeah. So and, and that was really concerning, but again, they just found a way to win, and right. that's what and that is what you. Uh, it's March. Yeah, and that, that was that uh, Kansas team. Um, but but really for Villanova, I mean, with, without Justin Moore, I mean, you can kind of say it like, like it is. I mean, they're going to really have to rely on every guy they have um, to, win, to win the championship. Uh, and they're going to have to, I think, rely on the free throw shooting as well. I mean, you get in a close game against Villanova, you cannot get down. Because once you do that, you're playing right into their hands. Mm-hmm. They're with, really hard to come back on. And Kansas isn't a great th- free throw shooting team, 165th in the nation. So yeah, seventy one point nine percent. This game came down to free throws. That would be would be dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I remember at when KU played at Texas, they lost that game at the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Ogbaji, Wilson, and even, Braun each missed the front end of a one and one. And even and even early, and even earlier today, I mean, this team was only thirteen of twenty six in the free throw line. Kansas was yeah. So and in that regard, it's a very good matchup for Villanova. Um, what. Well, just at the free throw line. Yeah. Exactly. Well, even the Texas Tech game at home. I mean, that was a double overtime. That was Kansas, a thriller. If Kansas can make free throws in that game, that game probably doesn't go double overtime. Yeah. So we kind of we touched on it a little bit. They're going to rely on every single guy. Free throw shooting will be critical. Is there anything else this team's going to have to do for Villanova if they are going to win the championship? They need if they turn the ball over more than five times, I think they lose because Kansas is going to try and run. Villanova's going to have to like really, really play their style of basketball, 345th in adjusted tempo. Kansas is 61st. So contrast of styles, and Kansas, given their depth and given how fast they play, they're going to really want to do that against a team that plays slow like Villanova does and also doesn't have depth as it is, now playing without probably their second-best player in Justin Moore, yeah. is really going to be lacking on that point. So they... They absolutely, I mean, Villanova needs this game to be in the 50s or the 60s. Otherwise, yeah. I don't think they have a shot. They need to take care of the ball, uh, play at their own tempo, and Colin Gillespie needs to be Colin Gillespie. 
I would absolutely agree with that. He needs to be that, that experienced point guard leader yep. uh, that March requires. Yep. And that's going to be something very, very critical. Uh, Kansas, um, the, the, the final road to the Final Four, but it's kind of took a bit of a bump with that Dayton game and that buzzer beater, which nearly got dinged to the tournament, which I will never get over. Uh, I will never get over that. Uh, that was really bad for the committee, but regardless, it's kind of a minor bump in the road um, for this Kansas team. Yeah, uh, people have really forgotten about that game. Yeah, which was which is nuts because yeah. that was a crazy game. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I I remember sitting with my dad and uh, back in Goodyear at, uh, at home watching watching that game, and we were both going nuts at that buzzer beater. Yeah, like it was just like oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and that was when I was. We were all feasting on college basketball like no, like no other. It was a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, there wasn't a t- time where this team looked incredibly wobbly um, through the early parts of the year. I mean, they, after that game against Dayton, they recovered really well against inferior opposition. Uh, got a decent away win against Oklahoma State. They away lost to Texas Tech. It's kind of one of those where Texas Tech at home is just, they were almost unstoppable at home this year. Well, even if you look at the season opener against Michigan State, I remember watching that Champions Classic. I mean, we all thought Kansas was a very good team right, at the, right, off, right off the bat. Um, but to your point, yeah, you, it's very hard to beat Texas Tech on the road. Yeah, it, 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 it turned out to be almost impossible. Yeah. And then even at home, it was a double overtime game. Yeah. Which showed you how good that Texas Tech team is. Yeah, and we saw that against Duke, so um, congrats to them on a great season. But uh, the Big 12, I mean, it's the Big 12. Yeah. It was the gauntlet all year long. Um, and Kansas uh, held their own, for sure. Yeah, and then after that, that sort of things got interesting for this Kansas team. The follow-up was an 18-point loss at home against Kentucky. Um, certainly raised some doubts. A couple of solid wins, especially the home win against Baylor. Uh, that was really solid. And then the away loss to Texas. Ugly. Yeah, that, that, that was not necessarily ideal. Four-game win streak kind of quilt the doubts. I and mean, then this is where things got interesting. Uh, the away loss to Baylor, again, we're not going to fault Kansas for that. Baylor's an exceptional team. But the two back-to-back games against TCU, they split them. A 10-point loss and a 4-point win. Well, we saw TCU against Arizona. So, I mean, TCU was a solid team. Very solid. And TCU was one of those teams, too, that found a way against really good teams. Mm-hmm. To not just compete, but make it really interesting. Yeah. Like, that that was one of those teams I'm going to remember as being a team that almost made all kinds of history. But they are an exceptional team. The the, the thing that is most mind-boggling about Kansas' regular season to me is having trouble with Texas twice. Yeah, and, and that overtime win was the follow-up to the TCU games. Yep. Uh, at home, too. And it was about this time where it was just like... Yes, you're still a really good team, but are you going to be able to make that run in New Orleans? Like, every single one of these teams, at one point, North Carolina a lot more than others, but every single one of these teams I thought had a point in the year where it was just like, uh, uh uh-oh? Yeah, no, but that was college basketball all year long. Yeah. I mean, this was the most diverse college basketball season I think we've had in a while. I mean, the amount of teams that, I mean, you could just look at St. Peter's. A 15 seed in Elite Eight doesn't happen. And that just, I think, is due to the widespread of talent throughout America this year in college basketball. So, um, yeah, every one of these teams in the Final Four had it at some point in this year. Yeah, and then for Canada, that was the end of the regular season. In the Big 12 tournament, guess who shows up? 
after a period of injury, Remy Martin. Mm -hmm. From the bench, he excelled against TCU, excelled against Texas Tech, which Ken Pop considered semi-home games, so take that as you will. But Remy Martin's emergence in those two games in the Big 12 tournament kind of set the table of what to expect from this team in the NCAA tournament. Oh, Remy Martin off the bench is dangerous. Oh, my God. Yeah, we know that very well here at ASU. <laughs> yeah. And Kansas knew that from a couple of years ago, too. Yeah, twice. <laughs> no. Right. Twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was the reason why they got him. But luckily, we have Arizona State has one more player than Arizona does in the Final Four, so that, we have that going for us. Ha-ha. <laughs> uh, but, but, but his emergence gave this team the firepower to get through the first two weekends of this tournament. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, Texas Southern, pretty solid. Creighton and Providence were really tight games. Yeah. And yeah. Remy Martin excelled. Mm -hmm. No, if Remy Martin doesn't play like Remy Martin in those two games, Kansas is not here right now. Yeah, and that, and that he, was, he has become the, he's, key, the key. Yeah, he's the X Factor. Yeah. And his veteran uh, leadership is definitely also very key to this team. But, yeah, this Kansas team is a lot different than most Bill Self teams because it has the leadership but also has young players. Um, but, yeah, this Kansas team is very fun. Yeah, and Remy Martin, he only had nine points in, this, in the Elite Eight. Mm -hmm. uh, but you really could see what he was able to bring. He got the shots in in critical moments. And that's what really excelled Kansas through the finish, the finish line to get mm -hmm. to the Final Four. And that, that's going to be the biggest thing I, I would have to say uh, about, about this team uh, is that if Kansas wins a championship, Remy Martin's going to have to be the that guy. Well, like, Kansas didn't really win this game until the very beginning of the second half. Um, they started the second half on a 25-7 to run. So yeah, it, they won 47 to 15 in the second half. Yeah, yeah it got ugly for Kansas uh, in, in that first uh, for for Kansas oh, in that first, first half. half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ugly. I was like, mm -hmm. uh oh. Mm -hmm. And then 47 to 15 second half. Like, but okay. Imagine yeah, if we then, had three ACC teams in the final four. Oh my god, that would have been ridiculous. We would have never heard the end of it from the yeah. ACC network. Yeah. Oh. oh I yeah. don't watch the ACC network, so <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't have been a problem for me. Well, the ACC Network is also an extension of ESPN, so we've never heard none of it from ESPN either. Yes. Um, but regardless, he's going to have to be a key. If Kansas is going to win the championship, they're going to do what? I think Ochai Baji needs to put his stamp on this tournament. He hasn't really done that much, which isn't a bad thing. They're there without him being really that guy. I mean, he, 18 points in the Elite Eight's good. Yeah, he led the team today, but was really slow. He got it going in the second half. And I think that him being not the guy so far is setting himself up to be the guy in the Final Four and in the championship. He's his team's best player. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's been phenomenal all year. I think that he's set up. He's rested. He's got to be feeling himself after a good second half. And I think Ochak Baji could really be the guy to show out in New Orleans. Yeah. Future uh, Pelican? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, this Kansas team, I think Ochai is going to be very key to their success in the Final Four. And then their ability to be able to run and control their own tempo to play at the tempo they want to play at. Um, I think that's especially key in the Villanova game. Um, but they've shown how they're able to win all year long. And I think if they play to their... Uh, Capability, I think they'll be just fine and move on to the championship. And then I think it's really a toss-up between Kansas and Duke. Yeah, use your bench players. I think that's the key thing, at least in the national semifinal. 
use Mimi Martin, use Mitch Lightfoot well as well. Mm. Like, both those guys can provide, they have provided key minutes off the bench, and they've done really, really well. Um, the depth that, that they have um, from, from that particular standard, you know, it's going to be a lot better in Philadelphia's. Yo, that's what's going to keep them uh, have fresh legs, and especially in that game. Um, I mean, Kansas's depth compared to Villanova is bonkers. So yeah. um, Kansas is definitely going to use that to their advantage, especially when they have a great coach like Bill Self. But any coach in this situation will do the same thing. And with Justin Moore being out, it's going to be a very hard matchup for yeah. Villanova for sure. It absolutely will. Uh, with, with the about, about 90 seconds, um, I, I don't want to discuss the refs in the tournament. They've been awful, so we almost kind of have to. I mean, I mean, I don't know who they're going to pick for the Final Four. It better not be Bill Borowski. I don't <laughs> want to see that John Rothstein team by Bill Borowski the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, the refs... It's, the refs it, have their trademark on some of these games, that's it's, for sure. It, it's... I don't understand how. I mean... It's it's ugly at times how bad these refs can be. Um, I think some legislation is gonna be have to be done, uh, especially on some of the charge versus block rule, and there's a there's a lot of stupid refs can take over games in basketball that this shouldn't be the case. Yeah, I mean there's been some games that that been ref. I mean some particularly from Bogorowski. Uh, Cap Kissinger is also a problem. I mean there's some guys that's gonna be like. It's been that bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been horrific. I mean, this is 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 this one of the worst officiated tournaments we've had? Yes. In recent memory, I mean, this isn't horrific. It's one. Of, I think it's one of the worst officiated, but it's one of the best too. I still think it's crazy that we haven't had one buzzer beater at all in March for the win. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. We. Yeah. Matt Bradley would have had a shot, but he turned it over. <laughs> Pain. Yeah, uh, and that's going to be a something to really see too. Please don't let it be Bobarowski. Please don't let it be Bobarowski. I doubt it. I mean, there's only going to be nine more officials. So. And, then and he did an elite eight game. Most of the people who do, who do elite eight games don't turn around and do another game. And if they do, it's Monday. It's going to be on Monday. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> if I had to see a Boborowski Rothstein tree tree the national championship. Oh. We haven't seen TV Teddy in a, in a couple of games, Nick. That's all I'm going to say. No. If you want to see the, those, uh, those late game, uh, <laughs> those late game replays. He wants camera time. <laughs> he loves camera time. <laughs> yeah. So spin that finger around. You're going to get your TV time. Uh, to close out the show in the last few minutes. Um, just some, such, uh, just to kind of predict the final four here, Duke, Carolina, TBS, CBS, NCAA, congratulations. You have your rivalry game. I uh, hope you're happy. Very, uh, it's very fishy, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of scripted. The same. It was just like how it was scripted that Eli Apple got mossed by Cooper Cup in the Super Bowl. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh... What I will say, I would be 0% surprised if this is the most watched college basketball game of all time. You would say that even though this game will be on TBS instead of CBS on broadcast. Correct. TBS is on most most cable packages. And I, most people can get TBS over antennas too. That That's that's certainly a good point. I would not be surprised if this is the most watched college basketball game of all time. Man, I mean, like the numbers for the regular season finale too was insane. This will be I, – I agree with Dom. This will be the most – Watch college basketball game ever. Wow. 
We would certainly have to see, uh, but I mean, I don't think you guys are wrong within the infancy. I mean, that's going to be fantastic. Um, Duke at North Carolina, who is the X Factor and who wins this game? Who is the X Factor? Amanda uh, Baycott, North Carolina wins. I, I agree that North Carolina wins this game. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I did not expect you to agree with me. Nah, I, I really like this North Carolina team. Uh, Over Duke, though? I, I'm not a big Duke believer in this team. Mm. I, I think they, they've been playing really well, but uh, I think that North Carolina's got it really rolling right now. Yeah. I'd say Caleb Love. I mean, he's made some shots that are unguardable, and if he can do that again here against Duke, yeah, I think they're going to win. Yeah. I think the X factor of this game is going to be Mark Williams. If, if he performs exceptionally, Duke is going to have more than a chance to win this game. Uh, if not, it will be North Carolina. Uh, but I think Duke's going to win this game uh, with with the little assist from the black and white striped companions on the court. Yeah. Uh, the I, zebras. I, yes. Duke zebras. Yeah. I, I think that's what we're going to end up with there. I think Duke does win this game. Uh, it's going to be. I mean, it's still going to be a great game regardless. Um, but Philadelphia and Kansas, this particular semifinal, X Factor, and who wins? Uh, I mean, the X Factor is Jay Wright because he needs to coach the game of his lifetime. Uh, in order to beat this Kansas team, that he's very more... he's very capable of doing that. Yeah, and, I mean Bill Self's an incredible coach. Jay Wright's best coach. Yeah, these two teams they met in the 2018 Final Four, and it was not close. However, there was one team that was significantly better than the other team that year. DiVincenzo. Yeah, DiVincenzo <laughs> was a baller. Brunson was phenomenal. Uh, Macau Bridges. Those are all three like, and solid NBA players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kansas wins this game, though. I think it's probably pretty handedly, too. Really? Yeah. Like, 8 to 12-ish points. I mean, Phil Nolan's not going to have that depth, like, any depth at all. You think handily with free throws or without free throws? Well, you... I mean, if Villanova is, if they get behind, they're not going to be able to shoot as many free throws. No, I know. So, you think halftime Kansas is up 10? No. I think they win the game by, like, 8 to 12 points. Okay, that's fair. I, I don't know. This game, I think, is a lot more... 50-50. I know Villanova doesn't have the depth, but I I don't like picking against Colin Gillespie in this game. It's hmm. my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I would I would expect Remy Martin to be the X factor, um, coming off that bench, being that being that spark plug, and especially if Villanova is only going to go five six guys, uh, and with the way Kansas likes likes to really work, go about things, he can be the X factor and just completely obliterate Villanova. Mm. Uh, I, I do like Kansas in this game. Even though they have that experience, it's going to be about, you know, all, 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 will all five of those key guys be able to just survive off 40 minutes? Mm-hmm. That's going to be something I look to. to see. I mean, if they get their tempo established, though, watch out. Uh, but if not, it's going to be a long night uh, or a long evening um, for Philanova. So, really, within the course of, of this, I know we all kind of have different thoughts here. Um, who do you guys think is most likely to win the national championship? I think it's Kansas. I know I picked North Carolina, but I think Duke is the most likely. But I like North Carolina. Yeah, I I, I, I also think Duke is the most likely. Um, probably Kansas, too. I just think Duke's the most complete team. I know Kansas has depth, but... Duke has the players and the depth. Yeah, and it's like they have, you know, all their forwards. I mean, they each have their own role, and they work so well together doing it. Yeah. I mean, it is so incredibly good. 
And should Duke win the national championship, I think it's going to be a little difficult to choose the most outstanding player. Um, should ben, Paolo Banchero stand out? I will. I will think it is. I do think it's him. Yeah, if he's the standout, he'll win most outstanding player. But if he's not, Wendell Moore will. Mm, I. I mean, if Mark Williams absolutely shows that, I think it's him. Okay. If it's not ben, Benchero. No, that definitely is a possibility. Yeah, I and mean, Mark Williams has had a tournament of his life, mm-hmm. and it's been so fun to watch. How about your thoughts on that? Yeah, Mark Williams has been kind of the the main guy that's been in there, while some of the guys have been inconsistent on the outside. And defensively, Williams has been that consistent X factor down low, and he's really showed out. And he's had the other guys around him to really make sure he doesn't have to be that guy, but he has been. If Kansler were to win the like Ochai or Remy, chances to win most outstanding. I think it's Ochai. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Yeah, I too. do too. I know Remy's been phenomenal so far. Mm-hmm. He's been their best player this tournament. Yeah, and if he really shows out in the final four, it's gonna be him. Uh, but I think Ajabi will probably just take control of things in his own hands a little more. Like, I mean, if he gets wobbly, they're, they're, they're in trouble. But you have that backup in Remy. Yeah. And so I think it's clearly one of those two. That's um, what helps Kansas so much is they have a great player like Remy off the bench. But. Yeah, it's, it's so, so really crucial for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll wrap things up for to, for our Sunday edition of the College Basketball Angela. It's always Tuesday, um, 8, 30, 8 o'clock a.m. Arizona time while we're after party. And we got a very spicy one of the scandalous Memphis Tigers. We'll talk about them and also discuss the NIT's future without Madison Square Guard, as well as some of the coaching carousel changes, particularly on the SEC. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at College Bananas for some interesting content in the lead-up to the Final Four. And on TikTok as well, this is where most of our short-form content going forward will be. Uh, TikTok at College Bonanza. It's a brand-new endeavor for us and a perfect time to start it, in my opinion. Uh, so if you are on, on TikTok, go follow us there. We'll have all kinds of great content to lead-up to the Final Four. But for Dom Contini and Dominic Stern... I've been Nicholas Hodell, leaving you with one shiny as always, and our well wishes for the week. And we'll see you here next Sunday for the Boston Radio Studio in Phoenix.